verses 13 through 18. As we begin, we commence a new series, um, Lord willing, according to plan, the final series that I will be preaching in this particular location. That's the design. So we'll see. This could be a short series. This could be a really, really long series. I want to welcome every single one of you. Uh, Matt, thank you for already ministering to my heart. Let's bow our heads first and foremost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank him that he is truly the cornerstone of, of this church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I, I love you. I love this church. I thank you, Lord, that you, you chose us placed us in this little corner of a community. You've commissioned us. You've given to us, Lord, everything that we need. We thank you, Lord, that you've rescued us, redeemed us from ourselves, that you've positioned us and called us, adopted us to be children in your family. We thank you, Lord, that we live with the hope of eternal glory. We live, Lord, as recipients of your grace and your mercies that are brand new every single day, this day. Father, we just pause and we invite right now the Holy Spirit um, to guide this entire uh, message, this entire series. We now commit and commend this to you. I pray, Lord, for people that are sitting here, people that are listening to this. I know, Lord, people that are going through some challenging times emotionally, physically, spiritually, they've been just dried up. And God, I would ask that you would minister as only you can. Father, I pray that your perfect will would be accomplished. I, I continue to plead for, for constant help and, and glorious reliance upon you. Father, I, I pray for the lost, the many that are lost in this community, I pray for other churches that I know brothers that are standing on the truth of the gospel and they'll be preaching boldly this morning. I pray for them, use them. Lord, allow us together to be bright, shining lights and rays of hope for those that are hopeless. Father, I pray for our country and our leaders at this time. I pray, Lord, for the families as we just continue to grieve the loss of young ones in another school um, shooting. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we, uh, would not, we would not give up. We would not give in. Instead, we would lean into you and we would rely upon you to speak into situations like this when there's so many questions and hard questions. We thank you, Lord, that you are the answer to our questions. You're the solution to our problem. Father, we pray right now that you would illuminate our hearts, open eyes and ears. May you be glorified in everything that is said and done. We ask this in the amazing and powerful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. John Henry uh, was a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, We grew up together. We spent summers together at camp, and we just played a lot together. 
I had um, grown up in the country and did what country boys do. I threw hay bales and split a lot of firewood. And John had grown up in the city and he did, I wasn't quite sure, whatever it is that like city boys do, I wasn't quite sure. John was very tall and he was very, very thin. He was gangly at best. He had really, really long arms and he had huge hands. It was very obvious in all of our games and all the ball we had played, I could run faster than John could and I could hit the ball further than John could and I could throw a lot harder than John could. I was a cocky little guy. One day I challenged John to a race, but this time it was going to be in the swimming pool. This was going to be easy for me, two lengths up and back. That's it. We stood on the deck of one end of the pool and someone yelled, go. And what I did not realize is that City Boy had just qualified as one of the top freestyle swimmers in the regionals. And he was so fast, I could not believe it. He was doing his little under the water kick thing off the wall at the other end before I was even completely wet. That's how fast he was. And I realized something. I realized just because John was not fast on land did not mean that he was not incredibly fast in the water. You see, John Henry was built to swim. And I totally missed it. Totally, totally misread him. Totally underestimated him. We're going to launch this week for the next several weeks into a new series about the local church. The church has been built to move forward. The church has been designed by God to give glory to God and extend the gospel first and foremost. You know what I think happens is I believe it's very, very easy, just like I did with John, for people to totally, I don't know if it's through assumptions, through a lack of knowledge, but it's very, very easy for people to underestimate the power that exists in the local church. Do you realize, do you realize right now who you are in Christ, who you are? Do you realize that? Do do you realize when there is a group of us that come together of who God has made us and how he has designed us to move. I'll give you two points in this message. The first one is this. We're going to get into it right away. Many people underestimate the power and thus they undermine the purpose of the local church. Let me say that again. That's a lot. I understand. Many underestimate the power and thus they undermine the purpose 
of the local church. It is no secret. We might as well just, just, just call it what it is, that the church of Jesus Christ today, and I would dare even say this particular church in this particular community has been mocked and has been relegated as meaningless to many, many people. I have repeatedly, repeatedly been struck with this thought in preparation for this series. If, 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 if Big Woods Bible Church no longer existed, would Lockhaven notice? If Big Woods Bible Church no longer existed, would, would anyone miss us? There'd be more parking spots in our little community on a Sunday morning. What, what, would it matter? Would, would anyone be affected if the local church of Jesus Christ in this particular community was not here? We live in a community, just to give you a little bit of a snapshot of it, I did some studies and research this week. We live in uh, um, a, a, a rural area, a rural community, Clinton County. There's just under... Uh, 40,000 people by way of population that live in, in Clinton County, 39,998 according to the um, 2017 population estimates census. In Clinton County, just under 40,000 people. In Lock Haven proper, there's just under 10,000 people, 9,549. What's interesting is that in Clinton County, there's an average family income of 47,163 in in Clinton County, okay? Let's bring that in specifically to Lock Haven. Do you realize that 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 income, that median household income drops to $29,560 per year? Clinton County's here, and all of a sudden Lock Haven is here. Do you realize that there's 17.8 people in Clinton County that live under the poverty line? 17.8% 17.8% in Clinton County, and yet in Lock Haven, that number literally rockets to 41.8%. 41.8%. That's almost what? One out of two people in Lock Haven. A little glimpse of the community that we live in. It is what? It is 92.7% white. An average. Daily commute time of 18 minutes. I have no idea what that means to anything, but I just thought I'd throw that in. I thought it was interesting. I try to keep it under that, just to let you know. That's a little glimpse of our community. If Big Woods Bible Church were called to minister to the community, if we no longer existed, would Big Woods even, would, would, would Big Woods make a difference? Is Big Woods making a difference? What I, what I want you to understand this morning, this is going to be a theme that we hear all the way through, weaves all the way through, okay, is that we need to understand the church of Jesus Christ. That's, that's us, called out ones. We'll talk about that in a minute. Centered around the word of God, okay? We have nothing else apart from this. This is our foundation. Centered around the word of God, led and filled by the spirit of God. Do you realize that that is the most significant, most powerful force for change on the face of the planet? God's way of change in this world is through the local church, which means God's plan for what? Change in this community by the word of God and by the spirit of God is you, is you. That's, that's what we're seeing. 
We're going to look at this word. I know it's kind of a weird word you have on the front of your bulletin. It's all over the place. It's actually a Greek word. Some of you may know that. Pronounced ekklesia, Greek word for church. It literally is defined as this, a group or assembly of persons. That would be us. A group or assembly of persons who are called together for a particular purpose which means we're called together, not just to be together. We like that, but we're not just called together just, just to be, we're called for a purpose. It's interesting, this word ecclesia appears only two times in all of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it appears only two times. Matthew 16, we'll read it in a minute, and Matthew chapter 18. Now, we know that the word appears a lot in the book of Acts. We know through the Pauline epistles it appears a lot, and certainly John's revelation, the word church appears a lot. We're going to look at this. Let's read this. Let's look at one of the contexts in the Gospels of this word, ecclesia. Begin with me in verse 13. I'll read down through 18. Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples. He, he said this, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One of two times the word church is used in all of the gospel. In this particular one, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He asks a question, pretty simple question. So who, 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 what's happening out there? You, you know what's going on out there. Who, who do people say the Son of Man is? Long list. Some people think that, well, he's like a forerunner of. You're like John the Baptist. Um, um, you, you're, like, you're like Elijah. You're like Jeremiah. You're like one of them. Even the Jews at some level had a respect for John the Baptist because he was pointing to the Messiah. They just didn't like the Messiah that he was pointing to. And then Jesus, in a sense, goes from a broad context to more of a specific, and he says, who, leaning in, who, who do you say? There's only, there's only, what, 11, 12 guys there. Who, who do you say? I am. Simon Peter is the one who answers. He kind of speaks on behalf of the rest of the group, and he says that we... Believe and we say, I say that you are the Christ. The word Christos means anointed one or chosen one, the son of the living God. What Jesus does here is he commends Peter right away and he says, blessed are you. You got the answer right, Simon Bar-Jonah or son of Jonah, identifying and calling him Simon. And he says that you learned this because my father in heaven revealed this to you. And then Jesus makes a statement that, that it is not a 
It is not an exaggeration at all to say that this is one of the most debated and even controversial passages in all of, not just the New Testament, in all of Scripture. Here it is. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, some believe, and this is the controversy, that this verse, this statement sets apart and establishes Peter from the rest of the apostles, the rest of the disciples, as more important or more significant than anyone else because of this statement. Some claim that it was at this statement, at this particular time, that Peter was was positioned to be in a higher office above the other disciples, above the other apostles. Some believe from this that what Peter that they claimed to be was actually the first pope, which meant that his works, his word, and his ministry from this point forward were completely infallible. He was perfect from this point forward. Now, we, we, we know that there's, all those beliefs are problematic in, in, in its teaching and belief. To be frank, that's the wrong interpretations of Scripture. I'm going to show you why. No doubt, we know who Peter was. He was a bit of a loudmouth, we know, okay? He was a spokesman for the other apostles. Um, we know that he held a position of leadership, particularly in the Jerusalem church. But if you get to Acts chapter 8, the other apostles are sending Peter to Samaria. So somebody's telling him what to do which doesn't fit with the rest of interpretation of Scripture. We know by the time you get to Acts chapter 11, uh, Peter is 100% at fault. It says that that Paul had to withstand him face-to-face at the Jerusalem Council. So apparently he was not infallible. And then in Acts chapter 15, Peter disappears. He drops off the Acts narrative completely. So so we know that what? To think that, that, that the entire church as some people would say, is built upon the foundation of one fallible man is wrong in every way. It's unsafe in every way. It's unbiblical. How do we know this? Look at the the, the clear understanding of these words here. The word Peter comes from the Greek word petros, and it literally translates little pebble or little stone. You are Peter. You're a little pebble. Then Jesus says this, whereas the word rock is is translated petra, difference between petros, which is a little pebble, a little stone, and petra, it's what a different form of the same word, which literally translates great mountainous rock, literally a mountain that is a rock. So what Jesus is intentionally doing here is he's using two different words to help teach us what? to distinguish Peter from his former divinely inspired confession that he, speaking of Jesus, is what? The Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the one, Jesus, that the entire church is going to be built upon. That fits with the rest of Scripture. You interpret Scripture literally. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. Look how that correlates with With Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 20, it says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We just sang that song a minute ago. Great selection, by the way. 
Jesus is the foundation of the cornerstone, the, 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 the first and the last of the entire church. It's the only reason that the gates of hell, the gates of Heol, Sheol, excuse me, Hades, the gates of death will not overpower, which means that just as Christ is here to stay, so is the church here to stay. The rock speaks of the eternality of God, the immutability, the fact that God never changes. He's same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so why, why is this important? Why do we need to know this by way of an introduction to this whole ecclesia, this local church? You know why? People, people have relegated that the church is meaningless. People have criticized. We know what? That, 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 that people underestimate the power. That's to undermine the purpose. Which brings us to our second point. Understand this. Power. Power exists. In the local church. In this local church. Because it is built upon the Christ the anointed one, the son of the living God, and not man. That's why there's something that is significant that happens when we gather together. Therefore, what what this means, that that the church of Jesus Christ, and, and, and it means that this church, the church, big C, okay, universal church of Christ, And what little C church, big woods right here, this church is his. You understand that? If it's built upon him, it's his church, which means what? It's not your church, and it's certainly not my church. That's very important for us to know this. As we seek to move forward, we've we've been created, designed, ordained for purpose to move forward. It's important for us to realize, well, who owns this? Whose is this anyway? Now, as pastor, I work alongside several other elders, and we are committed to carefully and diligently work to always align his church. This is the Lord's church according to the Lord's word, which means not our own. We don't have, it's not ours. We're stewards. We don't have the authority to change the message. There's certain rock-solid foundational doctrines that remain unmoved. The deity of Christ is not up for option here remains unmoved. The word of God, high view of scripture. It is perfect. It's everything that we need to know. Everything that we need to, everything is measured by the word of scripture. Salvation by grace through faith. We know it's not, these things are not up for debate. This is his church, his doctrine. We align with that. What our calling is, what our commission is. Let's just really, really be a nice church that impacts people in a really nice way. No, no, our commission is what? To make disciples. What we're supposed to do. We go, we make disciples. We teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. We baptize them. We're going to do that later on today. That's what we do. Why is this important to realize that there are certain things that we can't change because there are certain things that we can change? There are certain things that we need to change. There are certain things that we will change. You realize that? And there's also an understanding that none of us, for some reason, really like change. Like, I, I, I love structure. I love order. I need structure, and I need order. 
So there's a foundation that we know cannot change. We, that's not up for debate. And yet there's other like kind of fluid flowing things all around us all the time. And they're the things oftentimes that some people feel drawn to. And those things, what they, they can and will change on occasion. And I don't want to make too much of a change in address, but it's going to be different for us. Like this is really going to be different for us. Like some of you have been sitting in the same seats like forever. That seat not going to exist any longer. It's going to look different. We have to prepare ourselves for this. No longer two worship services. We are so accustomed to worship services, to running two junior churches, running two nurseries, and there's two, two everything. There's no longer two everything. There's one big one. And, and that's really going to be hard for some people. There's going to be some changes that are really cool. There'll be parking spots. You don't have to walk a long way just wondering, am I going to get ticketed where I just parked? I literally thought, that, like, is this on the map or not on the map? Tow it. You can have it, okay? I just got to park somewhere. There's going to be some things that are going to be easier. There's not, not going to be, like, lines in the bathroom. And, like, people always knocking on the door. You go to the bathroom for a second, and somebody's knocking on the door. It's just it's going to be some, some easier things, some neater things. No, no longer you're going to... Invite a guest, and they say, well, which door should I meet you in? Well, the front one. Well, that's not really the front one. This is the front one, but that's really the back. But, and, and there's not going to be that any longer. We'll be able to tell people, like, which, which door to go into. It's easy. I'm not going to have to borrow other churches, baptism, or find pools or, or creeks to baptize people because we're going to have a place to do that. It's going to be some changes, and there's there there's small. We can handle that. We can live through that. Big, big, lots of dialogue. Lots of what? What time is church going to be? Guess what? This is the first time it's publicly announced of what time church is going to be. Do you realize that? Do you realize that we've not said it until now? It's going to be eight o'clock. How about eight thirty? That's too early. What about the late people? What about the college students? What about when wants to sleep in? But we're used to getting up at eight o'clock. And then we can be out early. We can like be on the, the, the river pretty soon. Here, here it is, okay? Just think about this. Every Sunday morning, you're going to block out from 9 o'clock to noon for the Lord, okay? Just, every, just think of it like that. Every Sunday, you block out from 9 till noon for the Lord. 9 o'clock will begin our worship service. There will be no 8 o'clock. You can come if you want, have a cup of coffee. 9 o'clock will be the worship service. We, we won't be rushed constantly, and we won't begin our Sunday school until 10.45. So 9 o'clock worship service, 10.45 Sunday school, and that gives us plenty of time. What? What? To, to, to spend time. What I call, come walk with me, talk with me, sit with me, pray with me. Going to allow those things to take place. We know, sure, our, our location address will change, but our message, our mission simply will not. We will still center our mission and our vision, especially our, our corporate gatherings, our corporate times together around the worship of God and the word of God. We're still going to read scripture aloud, regularly. We're still going to sing loud. We're going to hear it preached we're going to be able to sit in, 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 in smaller pockets through more classrooms to, to learn and dialogue and discuss as opposed to large ones. Like I don't want to say anything in front of all these people. 
We're, we're, we're still going to celebrate the Lord's table together. We're still going to worship through the giving of our offerings. We're still going to pray together. We're still going to drink coffee together. We're still going to fellowship. We're still going to make disciples. We have to understand that. I appreciate the words of one of our our, our deacons, Jay Gaunt. Jay is just a, a man of God who prays constantly for wisdom. He says this recently. He said, Tim, instead of us trying to cut wood with an old handsaw, we'll be cutting wood with a brand new skill saw. Same job, just a lot more effective. And I like that. Same job, just a lot more effective. Yes, a little bit of a better tool, it's needed. But why? Why, why do we say this? Like, what does this really have to matter about what we're talking about? Pun studies, Josh, I, I had um, do some research for me, and he is just, he's just a numbers monster. I love him to death. And he just feeds me numbers and organizes and lines them up in like straight lines. I love that. I just see blur. And, and, and he, he brought me some numbers this week recently, according to Pew Research, about our, 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 our state. What, what is the spiritual condition of our state? What's the spiritual state of our state? Do you realize this? This is why we have to understand what we're doing and why we are called to do this according to the word of God and led by the spirit of God. 61% of people in Pennsylvania, adults in Pennsylvania, claim that there is a God. So we say, well, that's kind of in the majority. That's, you know, 61% believe in God. Do you realize this, that, that 34% of the people believe that the Bible is not the word of God and should not be taken literally. So we live in an area that says more than one third, that's more than one out of three people say, well, the whole thing that, that we base everything on the foundation of our doctrine and truth it's, it's, it's completely, it's nothing. It's certainly not the word of God. Um, 50%, 61% claim to be, uh, believe in God. 50% claim that they never read the word of God, never read the Bible. One out of two people in our state say they never read it. Third of them say that it's not, it's not anything anyway. 62% um, say that right and wrong just depends upon the situation that you're in. So there's no absolutes, okay? It just kind of flows like, ah, I probably shouldn't do this this time, but tomorrow I'll be able to. 62%, where's the moral compass with that? 63% say that they would seldom ever meet together to pray or study the Bible. Um, 35% go to church once a month to a couple times a year, and 31% never go to church. One out of three people never darken the door. And they'll tell people about it, like, yeah, I'm not going. One out of three people. 54% strongly favor same-sex marriage. 63% believe that homosexuality should just be accepted. It's just, just, just that's where we're heading. And I only share that to say that's a little bit, it's a little glimpse. And we know that what my dad would say, statistics and what a dollar will get you a cup of coffee. Okay. So we know that statistics are, but it gives you a little bit of a pulse that I think you would agree with me. If you spend time in this community, that's not really that far off from, from what I would say. This is important to know because 
if we look at it one level, it's, it's overwhelming. But that means, well, we have one out of three people that never even, ne- never come. Overwhelming majority would never read, would never study, would never listen to the word of God being taught. It's overwhelming, and yet we have this promise that said that it's not our church, it's his church, it's the Lord's church, and, and Jesus even says this, I'll build it. I'll build it. So we have overwhelming statistics, and yet I have unbelievable confidence that says, you know what, Bogart, you don't have to do this. Just stay in your lane, do what God has called you to do. And Jesus, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one who never changes, the one who always was, always will be, says, I got it. I will build my church. Now we know just from the evidence we've seen of the challenges of what it takes to build a physical building. Think about what challenges exist to build a spiritual building. Think about the adversity. Terrifying, terrifying. What, what do we do with this? We understand who the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when a bunch of you get together to one place, we realize what? Church of Jesus Christ, centered around the word of God and and led by the spirit of God is the most powerful force for change. Now we know, okay, but this whole power thing, like sometimes we just admit it, like this is really hard. I don't don't quite get it. I don't have it in me. We're gonna unwrap over the next couple weeks what that power source is and how it works. But let me give you just a little bit of a forerunner, okay? Turn with me back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, I guess forward to the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, verse eight. And here's some of the power source. We're gonna look at this next week. That just what allows us to breathe a sigh of relief to say, Lord, thank you so much that this is yours. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Just before Jesus ascends, he says this and he promises this, but you, you, and, 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 and not just those that are gathered there, that 120, 140 people that were gathered there, but I want you to hear this, but you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Castania, in Lock Haven, in Clinton County, in Pennsylvania, in the U.S. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But I want us to be reminded of and Lord willing encouraged this morning that as the Lord Jesus Christ builds his church, all of it will be built in his grace. He allows us, but he also empowers us to be witnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we're going to learn how to figure this out. We do this in a way that's, that's not going to be like a guy kicking and thrashing, splashing, trying to get to the other end of the pool like I was, okay? That's not the church that we're talking about. We are a church, what? That cuts the water, that slices. Did you ever watch a beautiful, beautiful, just stroke of a swimmer? And they just slice the water. Every muscle, every movement matters. 
We know that it is what? It's well-coordinated. It's well-practiced. It's well-conditioned. That's, that's what we need to become. The time for us to be proficient in how we do ministry in a community, frankly, that is in need of the gospel is now. We live in a community that is in need for the gospel. And what we have, we, we know we have in our hearts burning within us the ministry of the spirit of God. We know that we have, we hold in our hands a message from the word of God. And I want you to realize this. It is the answer to every question and it is the solution to every problem. Let me say that again. Do you realize that? That the power of the spirit of God working within us and the word of God is, because it contains a message that is the answer to every question and it is the solution to every single problem. Any and all addictions that exist out there, any and all sin, any hurt, any habit, any reason for anger, any bitterness that people have inside, any loneliness, any hopelessness, any reason, any reason for darkness or despair is found in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Immediate response is, yeah, 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 but, but you don't know my story. I tell people that all the time, and they say, Wait, but you don't know my story. Some will say, and some are sitting here and say, I have been abused and I have been abandoned and my response is what so was Jesus he was abused and he was abandoned yeah yeah but 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 I've been lied to like people just stood there and they lied to my face they lied about me but was Jesus lied about him yeah yeah but but I've been mistreated. I've, I've been maligned. So was Jesus. I, I, I've, I've, just, I've just been forgotten. I've been pushed off. Nobody calls. No one cares. I've been forsaken. So was Jesus. You, you understand here? I've been, I've been beat at. I've been cursed at. I've been spit at. So was Jesus. We just read. We'll just read in a moment. As we prepare our hearts to see what Jesus endured for us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Yet he was pierced for our transgressions. Anything that we have suffered, anything that we have suffered, Jesus understands and knows our suffering and our sorrow. It says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, by his wounds, we are completely healed. Completely healed. You you realize that Jesus suffered and Jesus endured the cross so that you and I would not have to do that. You understand that. Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. Why? Because we are simply unable to pay it. Do you see and understand what motivates us and moves us forward as a powerful force for good and for change in this community? 
We understand it first. We, we love. We love. We learn to love. So grateful for someone who came to me this week and said, I'm just having a hard time loving people. So do I. But we love because he first loved us. We, 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 what? we forgive because we have been forgiven. We, we show grace like there's nothing in me that ever wants to give the other guy the better parking spot. There's nothing inside of me to show grace. And yet I have been extended grace. And that's what allows me to say, go, take it. We, we show mercy because we have been shown mercy. Everything that we cannot and could not do in our own strength has already been done for us. Trust Jesus. Trust everything to Jesus. We live like that. We hold on to that. That is what changes the community that God has called us to be a part of. I tell you what, it, it, it wakes me up at night that I am so excited. I am so excited of the message that we have been given and the message that we are called to give. It is what it is captured in what we celebrate right now. What we just read, what in Isaiah in chapter 53, and we know the significance of this, that this is what hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ was even born. And yet it is perfectly descriptive of what we have to hold on to. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with. That means he was familiar with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, despised. We esteemed him not. Read about the fact that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. But that's what allowed us to be brought near. We have a visible, tangible reminder that Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ himself gave, he left us with so that we would never ever get too far from what Jesus has done for us. Realize one of the character traits of the local church of Jesus Christ is that they gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and baptism. And we get to do both of those things today. Both of those things. This, this is one of the defining character traits of what we do. We hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ came, that he was literally what? We believe in the deity of Christ. He was, he was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Came to earth and, and he gave a, a, a visible picture, an object lesson, so to speak. I don't want to reduce it to that term, but that's really what it is. To the disciples. The disciples literally, literally right before it happened. They were sitting in the upper room and they took some bread and they broke it. Jesus broke it. And as he broke the bread and as he tore the bread, he said, this is a picture of what's going to happen to me. My body, what you see in front of you is going to be torn to shreds. And that's exactly what happened. They just shredded Jesus' body. He also, it says, took the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. The, the crucifixion through the, the scourging and the, the whips and the beating was one of the most bloody and horrible and horrendous forms of execution that has ever been known in the history, even up to this point. 
blood was shed. He suffered. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. By his chastisement, we're healed. We're brought whole and we're brought new. That's the reminder that we have. And that's the reminder that we offer what? Regularly to one another to say, hold on to this. Remember what Jesus Christ has done. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that as a church family. Let me remind you that, that, that in order to take this, I would ask that you understand that you've acknowledged that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by going through me. So if you take this, then you are publicly professing that you believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation. If you have not made that decision and you're not at that place, please don't take this. It says we're not to drink of the cup unworthily. Okay, we don't do it in a flippant manner. We don't do it, Lord, j- 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 just, just, just to impress the guy sitting next to us. Don't do that. This is an amazing opportunity to realize that, yes, we are sinners, that we deserve separation and damnation. We deserve death. But we, we don't have to any longer fear and wonder about what's next because we know that Jesus paid the price which offers us eternal life. Tuesday, I have a meeting with a woman and, and she's, we're planning her whole funeral service and she's excited to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done because she knows that we'll be partying here and she'll be partying in heaven. You only do that because of recognizing what Jesus Christ has done. So today is the day of salvation. You can acknowledge and accept even at this moment that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And this is for you. Take this. Celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to invite the elders to come and they're going to serve you. They'll serve you the, the bread first. Uh, we'll then ask the blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then they'll serve you the cup. We'll sing a hymn and we will be grateful of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us by offering himself as the atonement for our sin. Gentlemen.